You're listening to a message brought to you by Christian Life Church Hereford. If you would like to find out more about us, go to www.clch.cc. Good to be with you this morning. Um, so we're continuing our um, Advent-themed um, messages, sermons, if you will. Uh, Tony spoke winsomely last week on hope. Um, and this morning, peace. Uh, we're going to speak to you about peace. So firstly, what is peace? And what it's seemingly dependent upon. Secondly, how can we actively pursue it? But I warn you there, I'm going to be getting personal. And then thirdly, I'm going to be getting deadly serious. So firstly, just to begin, what is peace? What is peace? Now, I should say from the outset, I've been coming here for about two years. Um, I'm trying to raise five kids. So I've got a fair idea that peace can sometimes be pretty elusive. And in my experience, at least, it always feels like my sense of peace is determined by my circumstances. What's going on in my life and what I'm dealing with in life? Um, I'm sure most of you can relate to that too, yeah? The question is, is there no way around that? That basically in good times we can be at peace, but when life's tough, when we're going through seasons of hardship... We, we simply can't. Now, for most people, that is their lived-out reality. And if that's the case, then don't our circumstances basically bind and control our access to peace, our sense of peace? Are they bound by our circumstances? Are we prisoners to our circumstances? Well, as a, as a backdrop to what I wanted to say this morning, um, I want us to focus on Paul's letter to the Philippian church, and in particular verses 4 to 9 from chapter 4. And hopefully you can see it behind me. Thank you, Anya. They read as follows. Paul wrote this. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, Whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put into practice and the God of peace will be with you. Paul's talking famously here about peace. In particular, that peace that transcends 
all understanding. Now, it's quite hard to, to articulate or describe what that is. We might compare it to, say, a, a baby yearning for its mother's milk. See, that the baby doesn't, doesn't understand that yearning. It just naturally knows that it needs it. And then in the breastfeeding, there's that warmth and security of the skin-to-skin connection. Now, in those moments, there's a secure, tranquil peace that passes all understanding. For peace, a bit like love, is something that's hard to define, but you know it when you have it. You know it when you really experience it, right? But like our love relationships, our relationship to God, the God of peace, as Paul describes in verse 9, that's also a two-way street. The baby at the breast knows it is loved and at peace with its mother because the mother is quite literally investing in her child. And the mother, so I'm told, also experiences something similarly beautiful, natural and, and tranquil in that breastfeeding process. I suppose breastfeeding, we might say, is an example of where there is a two-way street that elicits a natural, beautiful peace. So it is with, Paul, so it is with God, says Paul. We too must be investing in our relationship to God to experience that peace that passes all understanding, to know that the God of peace is with us. 1,600 years ago, just over, St. Augustine put it like this when he wrote, Only loving the immutable can bring tranquility. Only loving the immutable can bring tranquility. Now, immutable just means that which does not change, unchanging, okay? But therein lies the point that Augustine was trying to make. The thing is, our circumstances are not immutable. They're always changing, right? Therefore, by their very nature, our ever-changing circumstances will always govern our sense of peace or worry. Such that we can never really, fully, completely be at peace. You with me? Can you relate to that? Instead, wrote Augustine, he said, God alone is the place of peace that cannot be disturbed. God alone is the place of peace that cannot be disturbed. And he continues, and God will not withhold himself from your love unless you withhold your love from him. So according to Augustine, if we're not feeling at all at peace, then perhaps we're not loving God as much as we might. So how do we express our, our love for God? By truly loving his son. 
and everything that he stands for. Paul then mentions several here when he said this. Whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Why is Paul listing those things there in talking about peace? It's because all those things that he lists, they're all virtues that are rooted in God. They're they're hallmarks of God that are then exemplified by Jesus Christ. So, says Paul, we, we need to love these virtues just as Jesus embodied them because it's through them that we can then get a true sense of peace. To put it another way, we firstly express our love for God by trying to live right, by trying to live as Jesus wants us to live. Let me just give you one example. Home life. Like all things, our faith and how we live it out, and then by extension our sense of peace, that all begins at home. Let me quote Mother Teresa here. She said this. She said this. Everybody today seems to be in such a terrible rush, anxious for greater developments and greater wishes and so on, so that children have very little time for their parents and parents have very little time for each other. And so in the home begins the disruption of the peace of the world. Therefore, and I'm speaking practically just just for the moment, striving for peace requires daily attention. And that means from the moment you get up in the morning till last thing at night. It begins and ends with your home and your family life. And I know this because I can be one of the world's worst in this area. Feeling like everything is chaos and there's nothing I can do about it. You been there? But I'm wrong. I'm wrong. There are things I can do about it. I think Mother Teresa would be asking me things like, why do you always rush? And things like, are you prioritising time for God? and for those in your household. Are you prioritising these things? How would you answer those questions? It's tricky. It It always seems like there's so much to do. But do you make time, some time, any time, to pray first thing in the morning? Do you pray with your partner and your children, if you have them, Even within the busyness and chaos of your day, are you throwing up arrow prayers about whatever it is that you're doing? Paul says in uh, verse 6, in every situation, present your prayers and petitions to God. Therefore, it can never be the wrong time to pray, even if it is just in your head. Do you make time for that daily devotional? 
or even better, a, a daily Bible reading plan. I'm far from perfect in any of these areas, but these are all things we can do. All these things that I've just mentioned, and I could have mentioned a lot more, but these things, they're all ammunition. That's all spiritual ammunition to protect and preserve the peace of God in your life. To protect it from the worldly chaos and disruption and distress that the enemy, by the way, the enemy wants you to be preoccupied by and he then wants to drown you in it. So arm yourself daily with spiritual ammunition. Okay, Paul then says, verse 9, Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put into practice. So secondly, says Paul, you've got to be open to learning from others, role models. In this case to the Philippian church, he's presenting himself as the role model. I'm reinforcing this point in chapter 3 of the, the same letter. I haven't put this on a slide, so I'll just read it to you. He also says this, Join together in following my example, brothers and sisters. And just as you have us as a model, keep your eyes on those who live as we do. So it is for us today. We're supposed to model right living to one another that we may learn and grow from each other. And this is, this is where our fellowship is key. I really believe this, folks. I can't emphasise enough, just from personal experience, how much our walk with Christ usually mirrors our walk with each other as Christian brothers and sisters. Because as sure as the proverb says, Iron sharpens iron. So we strengthen, uphold, and nurture each other. And in so doing, as we're doing that, we're galvanizing the spirit of peace within each other. That's what church is. Where two or three are gathered, so says Jesus, there I am also. So, Please don't underestimate the importance of being here on a Sunday morning. And equally important is Monday to Saturday, meeting with, serving with your Christian brothers and sisters. Seriously look into joining a home group. Seriously. There's a, there's a men's Saturday, there's a Saturday men's group that meets. There's a women's Bible study group that meets on a Tuesday. There's Revive Cafe that's open practically all week. I could go on. There's lots going on at this church that you could get involved in. The point, the point is this. It's through strong bonds of fellowship that we have each other's back. Spiritually, emotionally, practically. For what's implicit in Paul's writing, and I mean all of his writing, is that we need each other. 
if you, if you don't really know that yet, one day you will. That you need your brother and sister in Christ to support and uphold you in faith. And that's especially when things are at their toughest and when peace feels at its most elusive. I mean, a day may come when you have no peace, seemingly no matter what you do, when perhaps even you might be feeling like you're clinging on to your faith by a, by a finger. There may even be a time in your darkest hour when your brother and sister in Christ are praying fervently for you because you're all prayed out. Now, I know that there's many wonderful Christian brothers and sisters in this Christ who already do all of this. God bless you. But let me just put it this way too. Paul writes in in Romans 8, one of my favourite chapters, by him we cry, Abba, Father, as God's spirit meets our spirit. Now, that same spirit that comes from above to us as individuals, it's then at work. It's then at work within us all, through us and amongst us, every time we gather. And it's, it's he, ultimately it's he, the Holy Spirit, that is the spirit of peace. Second thing, more briefly, pursuing peace. And this is where I'm going to get personal. Let me be frank. I hate this time of year. I hate this time of year. I know, I know, but before you rename me Ebenezer, let me at least, um, in mitigation, explain why. It's because I suffer from something called seasonal affective disorder, SAD, SAD, for short. You might, you might well have heard of it. The chances are some of you here might also suffer from this. And if you do know what I'm talking about, you know it's rubbish. It basically means that this sort of depression and darkness sort of descends upon you exactly around the time that the long, dark nights descend in as well. It it stems from a a vitamin D deficiency, apparently. So it's it's physiological at root. And trust me, just ask my wife. I'm not the cheeriest bloke at the best of times. But you know what cuts through this darkness and brings a sense of peace? Purpose. And what I've found is that there is no greater and no more fulfilling purpose than knowing you're serving the Lord. Now, I've spent several years in full-time ministry, but for various reasons, I gave that up a couple of years ago and left the denomination I was in. And in the two years since, there's been this kind of a, a void where I've been searching but I couldn't find my peace. And this is the first time that I've stood up, you know, preaching in over two years. And I know what some of you are sitting there thinking. 
Lord, please let it be another two years before somebody asks him again. But seriously, I'm saying this because I have found a sense of peace just in preparing this message this morning. Because it's where I seriously engage with God's word and and seriously seek him. And that's because I'm trying to serve him. And you know what? It can be blimmin' hard trying to do this sort of thing. But I've rediscovered that peace. A peace that is so different from anything else. And it's because... There's no greater purpose and sense of peace than serving God and other people in his name. There's no greater purpose, I'm sure of it, no greater sense of peace than serving God and trying to serve other people in his name. Now, if you haven't yet personally discovered that wonderful truth, this morning I just want to encourage you to go after it. This peace is there to grasp once you found that thing or those ways in which God is calling you to serve. Now, it, it may not be preaching, but you too have been called to serve God because we all have. Every member of the body of Christ has been called. So explore the many ways in which God might be calling you to serve and just ask him and keep asking him because the prize of peace that comes from truly serving God is well worth the pursuit okay finally just to get deadly serious how can we maintain our peace when things get really bad? What about when we get that cancer diagnosis? Or something equally earth-shattering? Look again with me at verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. Now, Paul wrote this letter and that verse whilst imprisoned, chained to a Roman soldier, not knowing if ever he would be freed or if, in fact, he was facing imminent death. Yet he had enough peace about him and enough assurance within him that he could still say, rejoice always. So so, so where's his extraordinary joy and, and inner peace that transcends his circumstances, where's that come from? Well, firstly, it's because he knows he's in Christ. He therefore knows his destiny is secure. So he knows that his circumstances do not and cannot imprison him. No matter how seemingly awful they are and probably look to people from the outside. On the contrary, he knows that his circumstances are but another momentary affliction, a phrase that he uses elsewhere. As we sang earlier, 
because of God's amazing grace, he knew, and he could sing, my chains are gone, I've been set free. As Hannah, I think Hannah then prayed. I think Anne-Marie prayed. I'm free. We are free. Do you know this? Do you know this? Secondly, even here in chains, he's still serving the Lord. Look at what he says at the start of this letter. If you will, my next one, Anya. Thank you, Anya. Earlier in the letter, in the first chapter, he wrote this. Now, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. You see it? Even whilst in chains facing death, his witness has been both an inspiration to the other Christians and brought others to salvation whilst he's been in chains. That the gospel, that the gospel has advanced, as it says, that strongly implies here that many members of the palace guard have been saved and come to know Christ through his witness while he's been there chained up. <coughs> Nothing ever stopped Paul preaching the gospel and witnessing to Christ. God, I wish I could be more like him. Okay, but what's, what's the one thing that's worse than death? Other than, other than not knowing Christ, we might say. But other than that, what's the worst thing? What's something that's even worse than death? It's living. It's living with insurmountable pain. Like helplessly witnessing the suffering and pain, perhaps, of a loved one. A child, even. In 1871, Horatio Spafford, an American businessman, lost his real estate business in the Great Fire of Chicago. Barely two years later, in 1873, his wife and three daughters went to Europe by ship while he remained back in the United States, intending to join them later. En route, there was a terrible storm and a shipwreck during which his three daughters all drowned. Spafford's wife made it to safety and messaged back, simply saying, all of our daughters have been lost. Only I have been saved. Spafford took the next vessel, and as they approached the place where his daughters had drowned, the ship's captain pointed to where the ship had gone down. 
and it was there on the deck of the ship that he, that he wrote these words. When peace, like a river, attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows, sea billows just means like a tidal wave, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot, thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. Amidst unimaginable pain, Spafford worshipped God. How could he do that? He still worshipped God in those moments. And in the act of worship, in the act of writing that classic hymn, It Is Well With My Soul, he still praised everything that God had done for him through Jesus choosing the cross. That not only meant that he would have his sins forgiven, and inherit eternal life. But also that his daughters, whom he'd raised in the faith, would share in it with him. So at the moment of his most extreme pain, he could still cling to the cross. He could still cling to that eternal hope that that Tony talked about last week. An eternal assurance that because of Jesus, he would see his daughters again. And in a a place of ultimate peace, where there would be no more crying, nor suffering, nor mourning, nor death, as Revelation 21 says. What does Jesus say? Look, what does Jesus say after his crucifixion? What's the first thing he says to his his disciples after his crucifixion? Peace be with you. Peace be with you. He says it twice. If you can just pop the next one on Enya for me. You got it. Thank you. Let me read it to you. On the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together, with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and sighed. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again, Jesus said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. Why does Jesus reintroduce himself after his resurrection with that phrase? Well, as it, as it says, the disciples had locked themselves away in fear. They'd immediately become prisoners to fear. And can you imagine just how broken they must have been at this point? And in those In those four words, peace be with you.
Jesus is saying. It's okay. It's okay, I'm here. It's okay, I'm here. I'm here. And think back to what he said. Think back to what Jesus said in John 14. Just before he went to the cross, he said, because I live, you also will live. And because I live, Matthew 28, I will be with you to the very end of the age. So you never need to feel fearful or broken again. Instead, blessed by the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, you can be forever at peace. So can we. Before he went to the cross in John 14, Jesus also said this. Last bit of scripture. Thanks, Anya. But the advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I've said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. You see, the peace that we really seek is not worldly. It's not found in this world. Rather, it is a supernatural gift, an integral part of the Holy Spirit that Jesus himself has sent to us. It's accessible to us all. True peace, true peace comes from the Spirit that gives us this divine assurance that Jesus is with us, that Jesus will never leave us nor forsake us, and that whatever may come, one day we will be with Jesus in blissful peace forevermore. That's the peace of which Paul spoke. This is the peace that transcends all understanding. And this is the peace that will be one day ours, yours and mine, forever. Amen.